One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is about a good, decent man who was no bother to anyone when he made a very innocent request from a stranger in a public place. It's something which happens every day in every town and city. But from the moment he spoke that first word, his life was over within seconds. Murder Mile is researched using authentic sources. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details. And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So that no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 113, the last 37 seconds of Desmond O'Byrne. Today, I'm standing in Trafalgar Square, WC2 one street southwest of the baby batter of Bedfordbury, one street south of the identical killing of the old curiosity shop, one street west of the hotel where James Forbes McCallum spent his last night of freedom before the bungled robbery of the coach and horses pub, and just one road west of the justifiable homicide of Ali Farmy Bay, coming soon to Murder Mile. Situated between Covent Garden, the Strand and the Houses of Parliament, Trafalgar Square is a grand public square commemorating the Battle of Trafalgar, which like most British places, glorifies our victories and vilifies those with titles, but ignores our defeats, the true heroes or the lessons we are yet to learn. Made famous as the site of Nelson's Column, as well as two fountains to Admirals Jellicoe and Beatty, as well as three plinths to a king, a general and a major general, whose accolades are largely forgotten, having not recently featured in a Netflix series. Most visitors are ignorant of its history, as this is a place to pop, perch or protest. It's where bored tourists scoff that great British delicacy, the McDonald's. Grown adults climb onto the London Lions like over-sugared babies. Angry idiots pointlessly scream at the police, rather than the politicians, who were miles away in their taxpayer-funded country retreats. 
and a gaggle of baffled Star Wars nerds, who were shocked to see that the Great Master Yoda floating before them. Wears Nike, smokes Marlboro, speaks Albanian, and often engages in fistfights with a Wookiee, a Spider-Man, and a Harry Potter. Ah, Albanian you are. At the north end of Trafalgar Square is the National Gallery, a grand stone-columned grade one listed building with a knee-high wall and a strip of grass out front, where visitors often relax, and as a public place, they can sit in safety with their space and privacy respected. Occasionally, a stranger may interact, whether to smile, to apologize, or to ask for a few coins, but their approach is often harmless and brief. For one man, all he asked for was a spare cigarette, nothing more. But seconds later, his life was stubbed out. As it was here, on Saturday the 3rd of June, 2017, the Desmond O'Byrne made a very innocent request. But while the whole world was distracted by terrorists, we forgot about the real evil which lurks within. Desmond O'Byrne was a good man, kind and decent. Born on the 27th of August 1966, Desmond grew up in Edgware, an industrial town on the outskirts of northwest London, with his parents and his sister Vivian. As a sprawling city where a mix of wealth, class and race often rub shoulders, Desmond was blessed with a nice home, a loving family and a great start in life. Praised as a first-rate student, Desmond attended St. James's Catholic School in nearby Collindale, a school founded by Dominican sisters in 1934. And being awarded as best in his year at college, he had the skills, the patience and the intelligence to succeed, but also the humility to not let this kind of accolade go to his head. Described as a gentle giant, in truth, he wasn't a physically imposing man, as being just shy of six foot tall and only a little bit chubby, as many men are. It was his personality which made him appear larger than life. With a round sad face, sparkly blue eyes and a cheeky little grin, Desmond was harmless, peaceful and although a little intimidating to those who didn't know him, he was unthreatening and polite. Raised well, he was generous with his time, money and love. So much so that many of his friends saw him as the big brother they never had. But the sweet serenity of his ruddy face couldn't hide the sadness within. For several decades, Desmond had earned an honest living as an engineer, where he specialized in steel fixing, a highly skilled profession in which he fitted rebars and steel meshes to concrete structures in and across the London skyline. He was married, they had a son, and he lived in a small flat in Pimlico, southwest London. To be honest, there's not a lot I can tell you about 50-year-old Desmond Byrne. 
as like so many of us who live our lives, do our jobs, love our families, and never aim to stand out, shrink down, or ruffle any feathers. He was just an ordinary man, living an ordinary life, who made the best of what he had. And as with everyone, life could often be unfair and cruel. So sometimes, he struggled. During the economic recession of the late 2000s, as work dried up and money became tight, his marriage suffered and it is said that he had begun to live an itinerant lifestyle. Life was difficult, but being a good, kind and polite man, he kept himself to himself, he was never a bother to anyone, and his spirits were buoyed by one of the simple pleasures in life which he could still afford. His cigarettes. Friday the 2nd of June 2017 was a warm summer's evening. The night was cosy, the weather was dry, and the West End was as busy as on any Friday night. With Big Ben striking midnight, Desmond merrily sauntered into the wide pedestrianised plaza of Trafalgar Square and lay on a low wall in front of the National Gallery. Dressed in a red t-shirt, black trousers and black shoes, being a little bit tipsy, he rested for a short while on the wall. And with his home just two tube stops away, in his right hand he held a white plastic bag of fast food to savour later. The area was busy, brightly lit, and covered by cameras and police patrols. As a sweet gentle giant, who was as pleasant drunk as he was when he was sober, Desmond had no enemies or secrets. He never caused trouble, he didn't pick fights, he hadn't met anyone strange that night, and he had nothing on him of any value. As the pubs emptied, the clubs opened, and hundreds of people passed by. All they saw was a tipsy man snoozing on a wall after a good night out on the bevies. At 12.24am, feeling that familiar urge to fill his belly, Desmond got to his feet, and with a bag of food in his hand, he had begun to head home for the night, only to realise that he had ran out of cigarettes. 37 seconds later, the life of Desmond O'Byrne would end. Desmond's murder occurred within a few feet of several witnesses in a well-lit public space. The suspects were easily seen, and the CCTV footage of those tragic few seconds was so upsetting that they caused an outrage. And yet, Desmond's killers wouldn't be brought to justice for more than a year. But why? As with every cowardly criminal, they hid, they lied, they fled, and they were protected by their loved ones. But more importantly, the attention of the press and the people were focused elsewhere when Desmond was murdered, which made this case next to impossible to solve with the speed that the family deserved. In the years, months and weeks leading up to his murder, Britain was rocked by a series of terrorist attacks by homegrown fanatics 
which had raised the UK threat level from substantial to severe. 7th of July 2005. Four coordinated suicide bombs were detonated on three tube trains and one double-decker bus in central London. 52 people were killed and over 700 were injured. 22nd of May 2013. Fusilier Lee Rigby was attacked with machetes and beheaded in broad daylight near the Royal Artillery Barracks in Woolwich by two self-proclaimed terrorist sympathisers. 22nd of March 2017. An alleged jihadist deliberately ran over pedestrians on Westminster Bridge and stabbed a police officer to death. 40 people were injured and six were killed, including himself. 22nd of May, 2017. Just 11 days before Desmond's attack, 23 people were killed and more than 800 were wounded by a suicide bomber in the Manchester arena. With credible intel of an imminent terrorist attack, the UK threat level was raised to its highest level of critical. And proving to be accurate, on Saturday the 3rd of June 2017, at 10.06pm, three ISIS sympathisers rammed and stabbed a crowd of pedestrians by London Bridge. Eight people were killed and 48 were injured. Every incident was a tragic loss of life. But with Desmond's attack having only just hit the papers, when the detective and Desmond's family urgently needed the help of the public to identify the suspects seen on CCTV, our attention was focused on London Bridge, two and a half miles east of Trafalgar Square. In that instance, during those first 24 hours and the most crucial stage of any investigation, almost no one cared about a 50-year-old man who the papers had said had been drinking and was cruelly described not as a husband, a father or even as an engineer but as a vagrant and a tramp. It was as if his life was worth less than any of the others. And in the blink of an eye, Desmond was forgotten and his killers vanished. We often forget that evil can appear in many forms, sometimes as the epitome of rage, hate or vengeance, and other times it can appear as arrogance, innocence and stupidity. Lucas Atunes and Louis Abella were two young men living their ordinary lives in London. Like so many of London's lost wastrels, who were demonised as feral youths, spawned in an uncaring home to a bankrupt culture who are obsessed with knives, respect and status. These two, you could happily pass in the street without a glance or a gulp. As they weren't ruffians, thugs or even troublemakers, they were just two clean-cut young men with regular jobs, a disposable income and no responsibilities. Age 22, Lucas Atunes was a Brazilian national on an Italian passport who had previously lived in North America, hence his accent. Described as a little bit cocky and vain, 
As a stocky but well-built lad who loved to work out at the gym, Lucas believed that he was a real ladies' man. Always being immaculately groomed, with flawless skin, a tidy stubble, and an arrogant swagger, Lucas would post pictures of his shirtless torso online as he flexed like a young Adonis. To some, he was nothing but a brash bullshitter with a fiery temper, all of which hid his insecurities. But to others, he exuded a confidence which reigned supreme in today's media-obsessed age. So although he strived to be unique, he was no different to so many other young men. And whereas Lucas would lead, Luis would follow. Also age 22, Luis Abella was more of a baby-faced version of Lucas, who lived with his mum in a Stockwell flat. Similarly described as fashion-conscious, well-groomed and clean-cut, Luis was smaller and thinner, with a quieter voice, a stylish ice-cream swirl of dark black hair on his head, and a boyish hint at a moustache, as if he'd coloured it in himself with a pencil. Hence, it was said, he lived in his best pal's shadow. They may not sound like a pack of callous killers, and that's because they weren't. Regardless of their flaws, which all of us have, they were just two ordinary young men living their ordinary lives in a big city. Hired by an agency called Buzz Retail, Lucas and Lewis were a key part of a high-energy group of young men and women who all day would confidently demonstrate the latest gadgets, hailed as the most exciting toys in the world, in London's most prestigious toy stores, such as Hamleys, Selfridges and Harrods. During the warm summer's day of Friday the 2nd of June 2017, which was a day no different to any other, except for a heightened security on the streets and a fear that any one of us could be the next victim of terrorism. As Lucas and Lewis skillfully played and proudly boasted the merits of each toy in the Harrods toy department, whether a puzzle, a mini-drone, a remote-controlled car, or the must-have toy of 2017, the fidget spinner, having finished their shift at 7pm, they dressed, styled their hair, and sauntered out into the West End. In a small group of friends, colleagues and cousins, they caught the Piccadilly line from Knightsbridge to Leicester Square and blended in with the nighttime revellers. There they drank, smoked and chatted, just like everyone else who was waving goodbye to the working week and seeing in the weekend in style. Later identified by the police only as male number one. In the CCTV footage, Lucas was seen wearing a red t-shirt, black jeans and white trainers. With Luis identified only as male two, in dark jeans, white trainers and a black jacket with a large white F on the back. They weren't disguised in any way, as anyone who had planned to commit a murder would. But that's because the thought had never crossed their minds. At 12.24am, as the pubs emptied, the clubs opened, and hundreds of people passed by, 
50 feet away, a tipsy man lay snoozing on a wall after a good night out on the bevies. But they didn't see, speak, or even acknowledge him. And why should they? As their sole priority that night was which venue to go to next. Luis was chatting to his pals. Lucas was on the phone. And with a plastic bag of fast food in his hand and his stomach growling, Desmond O'Byrne slowly stirred from his slumber on that warm summer's night. Lucas and Luis had never met Desmond before. And as the merry man rose to his feet and began to head home after a nice night out, it was then that Desmond realized that he had ran out of cigarettes. 37 seconds later, the life of Desmond O'Byrne would end at the hands of Lucas and Louis. Feeling a little bit rumbly about the belly and a touch rosier around the cheeks, as Desmond staggered to his feet, he knew that, after a few pints, his body craved that last hit of nicotine before his bedtime. Sadly, his packet was empty as his pockets, and as the good old days were long gone, when even a kid could buy a ciggy for 10p from a newsagent's, a common practice amongst many smokers is simply to ask a stranger. They might say no, but if you're polite enough, they usually say yes. And Desmond was always polite. 12.24am and one second. Desmond sees a clean-cut group of young men and women standing 50 feet away at the back of the George IV statue. They're laughing, chatting, and one of them is smoking. The square is moderately busy, but at that moment, this group are the nearest, and they seem nice enough. 12.24 a.m. and 5 seconds. Focused only on getting one last smoke to see himself home, Desmond collected his things as a police patrol headed north to yet another urinating, puking, or abusive idiot who couldn't hold their drink. But right then, Desmond wasn't worried, as this was his city where he felt safe. 12.24am and 10 seconds. Seeing the group standing at the lip of a curved wall, knowing that, as a gentle giant, he may appear a little bit intimidating to those who don't know him, Desmond pacified any fears with his cheeky smile his twinkling blue eyes, and a walk which, if a little unsteady, was calm and slow, so as not to spook the group. 12.24am and 22 seconds. As he neared the group, Desmond made a beeline past the two girls and four men, including Luis, and headed straight to Lucas, who was on his phone and smoking a cigarette. As always, Desmond was the epitome of sweet, kind, and polite. But what Lucas saw was a ruddy-faced stumbling drunk who smelt of drink, was begging for ciggies, and was rudely interrupting his call. In court, Lucas and Louis claimed that Desmond 
had threatened to shank them, to stab them. A piece of prison slang this sweet man never used, and his demeanor in the footage showed no aggression at all. 12.24 a.m. and 30 seconds. Just eight seconds later. That's barely enough time for Desmond to say hello to the stranger, to ask for a cigarette, and to be told no by Lucas. But as what was said was never recorded, and both men were outside the security camera's frame, what happened next is unknown. But seven seconds later, the life of Desmond O'Byrne would end. 12.24 a.m. and 32 seconds. Startled by something or someone, fearing for his safety, Desmond quickly turned his back on Lucas and with his bag in his hand, he briskly walks away towards the bollards. 12.24 a.m. and 33 seconds. Terrified that the thing which had startled him had escalated, without saying a word or making a gesture in retaliation, Desmond began to run as if his life depended on it. 12.24 a.m. and 34 seconds. Being 50, overweight and drunk, Desmond had only managed to run a few feet before the younger, fitter and more powerfully built Lucas had started to chase him down. 12.24 a.m. and 35 seconds. Sprinting from behind, as he swung his right arm far behind his back to maximize the power of his attack, Lucas swung his thick hard fist fast into the side of his victim's head and in a single swift punch, he knocked Desmond out cold. Being unconscious and unable to break his own fall, the 15 stone father of one hit the concrete slabs hard with his head and chest. As the speed of his run caused his limp body to briefly slide across the stone and come to a rest by a concrete bollard. Only, even as Desmond lay silent and motionless on the hard cold stone, the attack didn't stop there. 12.24 a.m. and 37 seconds. Never questioning the reason for his pal's vicious attack, Luis was already in pursuit. So by the time that Desmond had been floored by a fast fist, with a flying kick, Luis savagely booted the limp man's body with a ferocity so hard that Desmond's whole body bucked with the force. And then, as Desmond lay silent and helpless, both Lucas and Luis strutted away with a cocky swagger. Not for one single second did they stop to see if he was okay, or even to call for an ambulance. And although one of their party was seen staring in disbelief at this unconscious man who was profusely bleeding from his head, Lucas barked at his pals to come on. Come on. And with that, they all disappeared into the night. Paramedics arrived at the scene a few moments later, but he was unresponsive, having suffered a traumatic brain injury as well as nine fractured ribs. 
being listed as critical. He underwent an emergency operation with screws fitted to hold his skull in place. But his injuries had left him in a coma. That night, as London Bridge was attacked by terrorists, the press turned away, the public lost interest, Desmond was forgotten, eyewitnesses walked away, and Lucas and Luis vanished. 51-year-old Desmond O'Byrne, the married father of one, lay in a coma for six months. But having contracted pneumonia, he died on the 20th of December, 2017. Desmond was hardworking, larger than life, um, and just enjoyed life, really. And I just got a phone call to say that he had been assaulted, very seriously injured, and in hospital. I had no idea what I was going to be faced with when I came to London. Um, but I had the opportunity to look at the CCTV and devastated when I saw what had happened to him. I didn't recognise my brother, and unfortunately he never recognised me. There was no communication skills. He was in a vegetative state. I'm just appealing to anybody that saw anything, no matter how small or insignificant that they feel it is, that they just ring through, please. Aided by a grainy piece of footage, statements from a few, but not all of the witnesses, and a Red Bull can with the fingerprints of two unknown suspects. The police were at a loss who his attackers were, but were unwilling to bring the case to a close until justice had been done for Desmond. On the 10th of April, 2018, at a press conference, DCI Noel McHugh of the Met Police made this appeal. You may have been part of the group, and did not realize how seriously Desmond was hurt and that he has now died. That may prey on your mind. You can contact us and help us get justice. It was a long shot, which could have resulted in nothing. But sometimes, a good person in a difficult situation can do the right thing. An unidentified cousin of Lucas or Luis later stated that Lucas had bragged about how he had taken him out with a single punch. He seemed almost proud about it. But after a few days, he stopped talking about it and asked us to do likewise. As Lucas had fled to America, with the assistance of the US Marshals, the Met Police conducted a joint arrest on the 15th of August, 2018. Luis was charged that day, but having gone into hiding, Lucas was later arrested in Alabama and extradited to the UK. Tried separately at the Old Bailey, as first-time offenders, who were found guilty not of murder, but of the lesser charges of manslaughter and actual bodily harm. Lucas Atunas was sentenced to just three years and nine months in prison, with Luis's three years suspended for two. In all likelihood, given good behavior, they may already have been released. Desmond O'Byrne was a good man who wasn't being a bother to anyone when he made a very simple and innocent request of a stranger. 37 seconds later, his life was ended. And all because he asked 
for a cigarette. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. Up next, we have some extra details about the case, as well as some waffle about biscuits and tea. So if that is your kind of thing, pop on a brew right now and join me for a slightly one-sided chinwag. Before that, a big thank you to my new Patreon supporter, who is Karen Ann Chalupnik. I thank you very much as well as a thank you to all of the lovely new reviews you lovely people have been posting. I really do read all of them, and they are very much appreciated. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That wasn't too bad. Wasn't horrendous, so that's good. That's good. Oh, oh stretch. Oh my god. Oh, stretch o'clock. Oh, hello everyone. Oh, extra mile time here. Oh, let's get ourselves ready for extra mile. Wow, oh, lummy, that was good. That was oh, that recording wasn't too bad. Wow, it's uh. Oh, I was rushing this week. It's been a, been a bit of a, a manic week, I know, for everyone. It's Oh, uh, sorry, introduction. Uh, extra, if you're new to Extra Mile, this is Extra Mile. This is the waffly bit. I give you some, as mentioned, I'll give you some details about the case. We have a bit of a waffle. I drink a cup of tea, uh, which I, I tell you what, I'll pop that on now and then we can get moving. And, we can, and I talk about cake as well. Cake and tea and shit like that. Curtains open. Get some air in. Cool, lummy, it's hot. It's cold, sorry, it's hot. Hot, cold here today. It's really cold. I'm talking inside the boat, and it's uh, I can see my own breath. And the windows keep getting uh, all condens condensated, Cond- full of condensation. Yeah. So I'm gonna have a coffee. Whoa, excitement! Does life get any better than that? No, it does not. Coffee. Uh, yes. Uh, because I'm British, it'll be instant coffee. We're still in the old war ways of doing it. I know everyone else has moved to uh, uh, having 
proper coffee. Me, I still live in instant world. Uh, and the cake of the day today is oh, it's nice. It's uh, I got it from Lidl because we're in lockdown. I thought I thought uh, there'd be a big queue at the shops, but Lidl was fine. It was dead when I went in last night. I went in for some sugar and thought, oh, I'll have some donuts. So I've got uh, lemon donuts. Mmm, nice kind of ring donuts, quite squashy with uh, a, a simple icing on top, a lemony icing with some lemony sprinkle things. And inside is kind of a lemony jam. So I've got that to enjoy in a bit. I won't eat it when we're talking because that's rude, isn't it? It's rude. So... Right, that's all done. I've done that bit. I've done the cake bit. I've got a coffee on the go. Should really have a tea with it. I feel like a coffee because I'm tired. But um, yeah, it's bloody cold here at the moment. Winter's kicking in. It's about two degrees at the moment. It's nice and early in the morning. I'm somewhere quiet to do the recording. So I haven't got the big blanket over my head today. I've just got all the pillows out. So hopefully the sound is still good. But it's bloody cold. But it's not cold enough for me to put the fire on yet. It's cold enough for me to have two water bottles in bed last night, which was fine. You know, pop pop big one on your feet, big one next to your chest. Make sure uh, it, uh, it's it's on your, your key bits, your feet and your wrists, because your wrists is is uh, your the point where you can warm up your body faster, because your because your um your veins are nearer the skin, etc. etc. So uh, it's a good way to stay warm. If you need to need to warm up quickly, don't just put on lots of clothes and make yourself sweat. Just put something hot on your on your wrist. Top tip of the day. Anyway, yeah, I've been powering through this to, to get this episode done because uh, last week I was a week, a day ahead. This week I was a day behind because it's been a really busy, stressful week for me. Really busy. So, uh, what do you have? After, uh, uh, oh, Murder Mile tours are shut down, just so you know, because we're in lockdown. Uh, last weekend was the last Murder Mile tours. UK's meant to be in lockdown uh, for a month. Uh, I think that's bullshit. I think there's no way we're going to come out of this in a month. This is going to be locked down until, I'm thinking at least March. I mean, you think about it, they've already furloughed people until next March. And they've already started drip feeding information saying, oh, it might not be a month, it might be not be locked down for a month. It could be a little bit longer, which, so, uh, so I've shut down Murder Mile until at least March. If you do have vouchers, don't worry about that. They still remain valid. Anyone who has already bought tickets uh, has already been notified. But yeah, Murder Mile is down again. But there we go. So that was that was Sunday. That was the last ever Murder Mile. Uh, then Monday we went up to Scotland. We did uh, a mum and grand's funeral at the same time. So that was nice. We got to do uh, got to bury. We'd already cremated mum, but we buried mum's ashes with her mum, and her mum was buried with her husband. So uh, grandma and granddad all there, and then mum, who's their only child anyway, was buried with them as well. And then next to them is. Uh, grand sister and her husband so it's a nice it's a nice little family plot there so that was nice but because of covid restrictions and also do you know we're a small family me and my brother didn't want to kind of there's a risk we've both got family members who uh could be quite vulnerable to covid and we didn't want to risk going to scotland meeting other people spreading it around so we decided to have just a very very small funeral so it was me and my brother and that was it meet my brother uh minister uh and six undertakers, uh, so six pallbearers for the undertakers. So again, another funeral where there was more more people from the undertakers than there were that. But it was nice. I did, you know, he, the minister did a, a nice speech, and then I did a little speech about what Gran was like. She was good fun, and then the, so we said goodbye to her. That was good. So it was nice. So that's that's 
not really upset about that because that was just a, a nice thing to have got out of the way another piece of stress out of the way but it was very stressful um uh, also we, we we've got a house sale happening today uh finally after after years of legal wrangling uh because mum has passed away and gran has passed away now now the house can be sold and it's been sold today we complete today god my stress levels are high literally we complete sometime today and i don't know when or but it's happening and we had oh dear it's like oh my 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 kettle's gonna go oh cities of gold cities of gold oh so uh yeah no that was pretty stressful so we we sorted out the house we cleaned it the uh, there's no chain uh, on either side so we're hoping it's all going to go through and it'll all be very nice and it's meant to happen today and all the money's there and everything's ready and then a couple of me and my brother went up and we checked everything and, you know, got everything ready. And the estate agents had already planned that they were going to come in and clean out, get rid of the carpets and uh, the furniture. We'd got rid of most of the furniture, but there was still some to go. Uh, and then they, they were like, don't worry, we know a guy who can do it. And we're like, brilliant, great. OK, well, we're, you know, the house sale goes through in a couple of days. That's fine. So we headed back down to uh, the UK where me and my brother live. Sorry, uh, England uh, from Scotland. Uh, and then the next day they said, oh, there's still carpets and furniture in the house. And we were like, uh, you said you'd do that. And they were like, oh, shit. And we were like, we can do it. But don't forget, the UK, England goes into lockdown tomorrow. We're in lockdown now. And they were like, oh, shit. OK, because if, if we can't clear the house, the house sale can't go through. Oh, it could, one of those little stumbling points that could trip us up. So touch wood. It's meant to go through today. I hope it bloody goes through today. I can't wait to get rid of that house. It has been bane of my the last couple of years because I haven't been able to do anything with it. I haven't been able to rent it out. I haven't been able to sell it. It's just been sitting there, and it's been rotting. And I just oh, it's not rotting, but you know, you know, you you need to live in a house to keep it fully up to date. And I've done I've done my best, like making sure everything's up to standard and getting the boiler done on regularly and you know visiting it on a regular basis and airing it out and checking for damp and you know it's just a it's a bit of a bastard when you when you like it's an 800 mile round trip which i didn't mind doing because it meant i could go and see gran and check she was okay but it was like 800 miles every month on the train literally just absolutely exhausted and going in and checking everything and that kind of fear when you're walking down the road thinking okay i hope no one's broken in i hope it hasn't blo- the boiler hasn't blown up. I hope that you know the place isn't flooded. I hope a wall hasn't fallen down. Do you know those are the little fears when you don't live in a place and you just think, God, I hope. So hopefully today we get rid of the house. It'll be sad because it's as I said to my brother. Do you know we have no reason to go back to Scotland now, and we spent our childhoods there. Me, and my brother, and my sister were carted off there every Chris, every every Easter, every Christmas, and quite often. Oh, sorry, every summer and quite often Christmas, and. You know that's a big part of our childhood, and now we'll never have to go. We'll never go back. We'll never go back to that house. The house is gone, and that's it's quite sad in a way. So, uh, but at least we got to return mum and grand to where they need to be. So that's good. Uh, so yeah, my it's emotional, stressful week. Uh, lots of other legal stuff going on as well, which is uh, making life even more difficult. So yeah, my stress levels are right through the roof at the moment. So, but thankfully, this episode went really well. I, I thought the recording was good. So, right, let's do some questions. As always, I might probably bugger them up, but who cares? Let's just power through. So, question number one. Get yourselves ready. Question one. 
which part of London, i.e. which town in London, which part of London did Desmond grow up in? Which part of London did Desmond grow up in? Question two. Desmond was educated at St James's Catholic School in Collindale. But what denomination was the school? Ooh, that's a difficult, that's a really difficult one, actually. Uh, good luck if you got that one. Uh, question three. Name the three toy stores that Lucas and Lewis worked in. So they were hired by a company called Buzz Retail as uh, toy demonstrators. But which three main prestigious uh, 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 toy, not to, they're not toy stores, uh, the department stores, did they work in? Question four. Uh, what piece of evidence had both Lucas and Lewis's fingerprints on? So there was a piece of evidence left at the scene which had both of their fingerprints on, but what was it? Oh. Question five. Which statue were the group, including Lucas and Lewis, standing behind? So there's four statues in Trafalgar Square. Uh, one of them, obviously, is the Artie Plinth. But which one were they standing behind? Question six. Which terrorist attack happened 11 days before Desmond's attack? So that was question six. Which terrorist attack happened 11 days before Desmond's attack? Question seven. Which terrorist attack happened roughly 20 hours after Desmond's attack? Mm, so you may have given the answer to that question in the previous question. Mm, tricky. Question eight. Lucas and Lewis were demonstrating which must-have toy of 2017. So on the day of the attack, I mean, I'm having to uh, guess this because of, uh, you know, uh, I went I went through kind of their back history and worked out where they were. And then I was like, what are the main toys of that year? And we tried to work out what they were selling and looked at the kind of uh, the website uh, the, for the company, um, I can't remember what they're called, something retail, Buzz Retail. I looked at their website for their kind of toys, and then I worked out what the must-have toys for that year, and this was what this was the main one. So Lucas and Lewis were demonstrating which must-have toy of 2017. God knows why it was a must-have toy because it was dog shit. Question nine: Which which American state? Uh, was Lucas found in when he went into hiding? So when he went into hiding, which American state was he found in? Question 10. Which three cases we've already covered in Murder Mile... Already co oh, there's burpees then, sorry. Already covered in Murder Mile are nearest to Trafalgar Square. So I mentioned these three right at the start. Which three cases we've already covered in Murder Mile are nearest to Trafalgar Square? Right. Okay. Let's do some extra stuff. Uh, oh, I'm gonna have a swig of a uh, swig of quaffy, quaffy, and then my cup of quaffy. Oh, there we go. Bit of Kenko. That's all you need. A bit of Kenko. Some powdered milk. Some um, some some sugar. There we go. Right. Okay. Uh, let's add in some stuff that's not in the episode. Uh, so just after the attack, uh, Lucas and Lewis, as mentioned, they didn't stop to check. Oh, if you if. Uh, I'll, it's freely available online. If you type Desmond O'Byrne, you'll see the attack footage. It's the, it's the it's the final five seconds. You'll see exactly what happens. Uh, you can see that Desmond is clearly coming back into shot. He's he's kind of he, he's starting to uh, walk away briskly. Then he starts to run, as mentioned in the episode. Then behind him, 
uh, comes uh, Lucas punches him from behind the uh, floors him he, he kind of falls across the floor and then Lewis kicks him really severely uh, just after that both of them walk away there's not even a split second where they stop to check that he's okay they walk away the both of them you can you can see it even on bad security footage you can see that they've got a cocky swagger about them as if they're a bit proud of themselves utter burks um but when you're looking at the footage as well um you can see that one of that there's a, a group of them there's like three three males there two females there and there's one female there who's in the group you'll see her uh, in the footage she's got long dark hair white jumper black leggings white trainers and you can see a kind of look of shock on her face and she stares at Desmond lying motionless on the floor there's a crowd of people kind of gathering around him there's probably about 10 yeah about 10 12 people gathering around some are as mentioned taking pictures others are just staring there's one or two who are actually come over to see if desmond's okay but desmond on his floor is absolutely flawed you can see that the girl who's with the group it's never mentioned who she is it is believed that she may be either the girlfriend of lucas or lewis or could be one of the cousins i've gone through all these details her details are pretty much kept out of it which is fine i don't I, do you know what she's probably been through a horrible situation having to put up with this so do you know maybe don't blame her for not wanting to have her details out there but you can see she's brushing the hair out of her eyes she looks in real disbelief and then it's uh lucas who's like come on everyone come on we're going and then they kind of strut away um i'll go into more into about the investigation of the case in this section because i uh with this i just wanted to really focus on the attack in the 37 seconds because i i think I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, it's that small amount of time. It's the difference between life and death. Like, like Desmond, I keep going to call him Bernard. I don't know why. Um, it's happened a lot during this case. Um, it's not in this episode because I've been careful not to call him Bernard. I don't know why I want to call him Bernard. Really don't. Um, uh, it's a difference between life and death, isn't it? It's like, it's like if he wasn't a smoker, he'd probably still be alive. Or if he would have had one cigarette left in his packet, he would be alive. Or if he would have had like uh, five pounds left in his wallet, he would be alive, do you know? Or if he would have decided to get up 10 minutes later or five minutes earlier, do you know, and ask someone else who was passing if they had a cigarette. Do you know, if it was me, uh, you know, I used to be a smoker many years ago, dirty. And, do you know, if someone comes up and asks for a cigarette... I would always say yes, because I'd rather say yes and, you know, get rid of the person than say no and engage them in a conversation and shit like that. Because, you know, someone's saying, have you got any cigarettes? And you're there with a fag in your gob and you've got a pack of 20 in your hand, you know. It's 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 easier to say, yeah, here you go, mate, have yourself a good night and be polite about it. But unfortunately, one or two people out there can't. Uh, so it's that's why I'm focusing on this part of the case. As mentioned, the paramedics arrived uh pretty soon afterwards just a couple of minutes later st thomas's hospital which is the main uh trauma hospital in london or oh, it was at that time i don't know whether the uh the other one up on warren street is more tra- i think st thomas's is still the trauma hospital the main one that's over by uh westminster bridge just over the other side um so obviously the the ambulances weren't too far away and they were probably patrolling as well. They arrived on scene. They said he was entirely unresponsive. As mentioned, he was taken originally to uh, St. Thomas's Hospital, but then transferred to the Royal London because uh, he was in a vegetative state where they could keep an eye on him. That's over in Whitechapel. Uh, his sister Vivian, as mentioned, travelled from Wales. That's where she lived. And she said, I'll put some audio hopefully in this episode but if not then I'll, I'll try and put it online as well 
because uh, when they did the press conference, that was quite interesting. She was able to give a lot more information. And she said, you know, his head was really very swollen. He got severe brain injuries, but there was no cognitive ability at all. He didn't, she went to see him. He didn't even know that his own sister was there. Um, so was, she said there was really no hope of him coming out of a vegetative state. Uh, you know, the brain injury was that severe. And if you think about it, it was that was just done by the punch and then him falling on the floor. But the I think the autopsy said it was the punch that was really did it. Um, obviously, Desmond's birthday, uh, 51st birthday happened, but he was already in a coma. Um, he'd had an emergency op- operation, this was mentioned in the episode, uh, to hold his skull together because his skull had been smashed open uh, from the force. Uh, unfortunately, he contracted pneumonia whilst he was in a coma, and then he, he died on the 20th of December 2017, so about six months later. Postmortem was conducted on the 3rd of January 2018 at Westminster Mortuary and the cause of death was brain injury. Uh, that, that becomes useful later on when we're discussing this case. In the investigation that was headed up uh, by the Homicide and Major Crime Unit head by, headed by Detective Chief Inspector Noel McHugh, um, when you look at the footage, it, the footage is not bad. You can see what's going on. But the problem is, as with all CCTV footage, especially at night, it's a little bit grainy. It's a little bit vague. Um, so all they could really see, it was hard to make a positive idea of who these people were. You could see a lot of people milling around. It wasn't entirely in shot. The group was... Desmond started out of shot on the right-hand side. The group were out of shot on the left-hand side. And I know in hindsight, everyone would be like, oh, why didn't you just move the camera? It's like, yeah, but no one knew that something was going to happen right at that very moment. Do you know, if we all had 2020 hindsight, we wouldn't have woken up in 2020. Because it's been a shit year, hasn't it? It's been a shit hour. A complete shit house of a year. Anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, obviously the the street, as mentioned, was full of tourists, f- full of uh, people going out. There was police patrols. There wasn't any in the area at that moment, which is why I made that comment. That the police were probably elsewhere, having to look after someone who was puking or urinating, because this is the problem, especially in a big city. That half the time the police are having to go and deal with dickheads who can't 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 handle their own drink when really they need to be focusing on other people but you know when a call comes in they need to respond to it because they don't know what's going to happen <sighs> so unfortunately there wasn't any police nearby to witness this happen and be able to track down the suspects so that was a real problem uh as mentioned there was a a piece of evidence i'm not going to say what because that comes up in the quiz shortly found at the scene which had both of their fingerprints on uh but the police got the fingerprints. They weren't able to track down who these people were because they didn't have a criminal record. You know, think about it. None of us, most of us don't have our fingerprints, thank God, on the police database because we're not criminals. But if you are a criminal, it's on your database. Uh, so it kind of stalled to... a. a the investigation stalled at that point because they had some witnesses, but not all of them. They didn't know the names of these people. They roughly knew what they looked like. They knew roughly what they were dressed like. But no one came forward, and especially no one from the group who were with Lewis and Lewis. And, you know, they're equally to blame for this. None of them came forward to say, OK, it was our mates who did it. Yeah. So they left Vivian, who was uh, Desmond's sister, you know, to have to suffer through this for months and months. And you know, poor Desmond as well. So um, because of the West, because of the London Bridge attack, obviously the focus was on there. I'm not blaming the people at the London Bridge attack. It's, you know, it's it's what happens in life. If there's something bigger happens, we focus on that. And when something bigger happens, we don't focus on that. For example, episode one of Murder Mile, that's about 
the Denmark Place fire, one of Britain's worst mass murders, but no one knows about it because we were too busy focused on the Yorkshire Ripper, but more importantly, on Wearside Jack, who was the guy pretending to be the Yorkshire Ripper. So the press were looking that way, whereas they should have been looking elsewhere. So there's a lot of cases which have disappeared or just don't exist that we don't know about because because we're focused in one area. Uh, the press go where they think that they that we the you know to the cases that they think we want to hear about. They go for the more exciting ones. They go for the more numbers. So if you have if you have an attack where two people died and then you have an attack the day later where ten people died, you focus on the one where ten people died. It's simple numbers. That's all it is. Uh, so um, the the police didn't let the case die. They were still going with it. Desmond had already died by this point, so obviously this had gone from a, an assault charge, which which could be one of the reasons why uh, the press and people weren't that bothered about it because it was you know you could just say it was drunks and they were fighting, which the press would do. They weren't fighting, but you know it was just an assault charge. But because Desmond had died from his injuries, it then became a murder charge. So on the 10th of April 2018, uh, Detective Chief Inspector McHugh and Desmond's sister Vivian did an an appeal to find her brother's attackers. Uh, They needed to track down the other other witnesses who hadn't come forward, the people who were nearby and the people who were part of that group. Um, So what they did, they did lots of social media appeals and released photos of Desmond in his hospital bed. his sister did did a really nice statement. She was saying, you know, he's a hard-working, uh, larger-than-life person. He was just out having a bit of fun in Leicester Square. He was brutally and viciously attacked by two cowards who then calmly walked away and left him for dead. Uh, the police offered a £20,000 reward for information. Uh, they posted a video online of Desmond being attacked and which got a quarter of a million hits. Uh, and some witnesses did start to come forward. Uh, um, Desmond, uh, sorry, uh, DCI McHugh, as mentioned, did a, a a really nice speech where you know, I think when they when they when they looked at the footage, they could clearly see that obviously they weren't going to be able to reach out to Lucas and Lewis because they were cocky and brash and walking away, swaggering. Uh, and you know, as mentioned, one of them was already bragging the next day about how he'd floored a guy with a punch. Um. But they could clearly see that one of the girls in the footage was clearly distressed by this. And they so they they tweaked their appeal uh, to aim to her. They didn't say her, her directly. They didn't say you, that one with the dark hair. They were like, uh, as as said here, it's like, um, you, know, you may not you, you may have been part of the group. You may not have realized how seriously Desmond was hurt and that he was now dead. Um, that may prey on your mind. So contact us and help us bring justice. Uh, and they obviously they're focused on how Desmond was, you know, an inoffensive man. Do you know, he was a bit, he was a bit big, he was a big man, big character. But you know, he was just out having a bit, a bit of fun. He was a nice guy. All he wanted was a cigarette. Uh, so one of the um, uh, one of the witnesses did come forward, as mentioned. It's unsure whether it was Lewis or Lucas's cousin, but one of them did come forward, and as mentioned, said. That uh, you know they worked together for Buzz Retail, the same agency where they did the demonstrations at the at the shops that I won't mention because that's in the quiz, and that he had bragged about how he had taken out his victim with a single punch, and he seemed proud of his achievement. But a few days afterwards, he stopped talking about it and asked us to do likewise. Uh, by that point, as mentioned, Louis was uh, he was living in Tottenham, but he'd already fled to America by that point. That was a couple of days later. I think when he realised things had, had gone really, really serious. As mentioned, he has a Brazilian passport, but uh, Italian. Sorry, uh, he has a Brazilian passport. Sorry, he's a Brazilian national, but he's on an Italian passport and. 
has an American accent, so he has lived in America before, so he obviously has access to all of those countries, so he fled to America. I won't say where, because that's one of the questions as well. See, I'm getting good at this. And, you know, the the uh, British police were able to do a great job with the US Marshals in order to track him down. Uh, so, Louis Abella, uh, 22, was located at his mother's home at Marshall Court in Stockwell, uh, the police needed to arrest them both at the same time. So they did this in the early hours of the 15th of August 2018. Uh, the idea was, as always, to prevent them tipping each other off. Uh, they needed to arrest both in the UK and the USA. Um, around that time, uh, Lewis was, uh, I think they said he was working for a skateboard company, giving skateboard lessons to kids. Uh, they knocked on the door. His mum answered. He was found in the flat in bed uh, it was in the early hours when they went in there they found the dark jacket uh with the white it looked like a white f on the back it's uh it was very identifiable that's the one thing they could find and they were like right okay that's you um they said he he came across as a nice a nice lad but um didn't seem phased by his arrest and as as his rights he gave no comment in all of the police interviews and you know they did say that even though he was baby faced he seemed to be a, a bit unemotional in his interviews you know a bit a bit stone cold so um maybe he was nervous uh maybe he just didn't care we don't know but anyway he was charged with manslaughter that day uh before he later admitted as mentioned in court to the charge of abh actual bodily harm oh yeah 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 yeah. um lucas who had fled to america obviously this is I, i didn't put this in the episode but it's obvious really how was he caught uh, he was posting photos of himself on social media. Why? Because he's absolutely obsessed with himself and he thinks he's lovely. So uh, he was found in an American state. I won't say which one. Uh, fitting windows, but that's how they arrested him. He's literally they went they went onto his like his Facebook account and just went. Oh, there he is. We know where he is. Bang! He was arrested. So he was charged on the twenty seventh of September, twenty eighteen, by DCI Noel McHugh. That must have been a lovely feeling to have arrested him. Um. Initially, they appeared at Westminster Magistrates Court on the 28th of September 2018. Uh, uh, they appeared at the Old Bailey, as mentioned, separately. Um, they, it was felt that even though even though it was the same case, it was best to try them separately because, uh, as you can see, there's two separate charges with this. Uh, the autopsy had already said that it was the punch to the head that had caused the brain injury which killed, ultimately killed, uh, Desmond. So that's why it had to be split into two charges and which is why it eventually became manslaughter and actual bodily harm. So um, Lewis was charged with actual bodily harm because he was the one who kicked Desmond in the chest, breaking all of his ribs, but obviously that didn't kill him. That, that, do you know what, that probably, that probably led to him getting pneumonia. Because I've had cracked ribs before and it's horrible and you really do get a chest infection. It's really horrible. So, do you know, I would have said that equally caused his murder as well because he's in uh, he's in coma. He can't cough. He can't bring up uh, the fluids that he needs to in order to uh, in order to get through the pneumonia. So I think they're both equally culpable of murder. But there we go. That's what the court said. Um, as mentioned in court, they did say... They said that Desmond had come up to them and threatened to shank them, uh, which, as mentioned in the episode, means to, it's a prison term, meaning to stab them. 
But if you look at the evidence, you look at the footage, well, you look at the longer footage, which I can't find online at the moment. It's really annoying. Desmond kind of saunters over. It's casual. It's slow. He's nice. He's got his food in his hand. You can tell he's just coming over for a cigarette. And he's there for literally maximum eight seconds, maybe maybe less. Uh, so it's just enough time, as mentioned, to say, hi, uh, can I have a cigarette? But you can see on the footage that I post online, Desmond is clearly, the, he's panicked as he's starting to walk away and then he's running. So uh, um, so the idea that he would have shanked, said, oh, I'm going to shank you. Why would he do that? Like within eight seconds, why would he go, I'm going to shank you, give me a cigarette? It doesn't make any sense at all. And everyone who said, spoke, you know, knew him said, he's a lovely guy, he's really sweet. So, you know, none of none of that would have happened. I think that's just complete utter bollocks. Oh, what else we got? Ah. Uh... I think that is it. Yeah, they were sentenced on the 8th of February 2019 at the Old Bailey. Lucas admitted manslaughter and he was sentenced to three years and nine months in prison, which is nothing. So you think about the the, uh, justice system we have. So he probably, first time offence, he's probably served half of that. And given the fact that if he would have gone to prison right then, because of the COVID situation and their kind of prisoners getting early release, so they're not being stuck in prison and risking getting COVID, he's probably already out. He's probably out. Uh, hopefully he's not in this country maybe he's gone back to brazil or wherever um so that was that luis um was guilty of causing actual bodily harm he was sentenced to three years in prison but this was suspended for two years so uh that would have been suspended until the start of 2021 so he walked out of court that day and i'm guessing because of covid he probably hasn't gone into prison this has probably been suspended for a couple more years, so God knows where he is now. Um, but uh, as it was stated, because it, cause it was the it was the punch that was the fatal blow, not the kick, he was given the lesser charge. Hence, he walked free and was released on bail. Um, I think that's it. The, Vivian, his uh, sister, was in court throughout the trial. Um, uh, da, 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 da. I think that's it. I think that's all we need on that. I've, uh, if you if you look at all the statements, there's a, this is the one that gets me. In all of the statements that you see uh, to do with the case, have a look at any of them. Just just look at them online, whether on BBC or Guardian or anything, and you'll see a little amendment to every single one of them. And it's this: a Harrod spokesman, a Harrod spokesman said the defendants were not members of staff but were employed by Buzz Retail. <laughs> it's like in all of the everyone had to go back into their articles and go oh they didn't work for harrods it's like fuck's sake harrods jesus christ is that all you care about is your reputation really i mean i mean you're a crap shop anyway for anyone if you're if you're uh, not british uh, and you're listening to this podcast can i just say now no one in britain shops in harrods it's 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 a tourist shop it's designed for tourists. If you go in there, you'll just see tourists in there going, oh, oh, look, British tea. Oh, look, oh, look, uh, something shaped like telephone box. Ooh. It's like no one in Britain shops there. It's just, it's people go in there and buy shit and they they like the idea of it going, oh, look, oh, look, it says Harrods. Oh, it must be British. It's not British at all. If you want British, go to Sainsbury's, go to, go to Marks and Sparks, go to Tesco's. Get some proper British there, or, or a nice little independent shop, but not Harrods. Oh, Harrods! Hate Harrods. Oh, unless next week this episode is sponsored by Harrods, and I love Harrods. Harrods is a great shop. Just, 
Right, let's do let's do some questions. Oh, let's do answers to the questions. Right, here we go, folks. Question number one: Which part of London, i.e., which town in London, did Desmond grow up in? The answer was Edgware. I'm looking at my donuts now. Uh, question two: Desmond was educated at the St James Catholic School in Collindale, but which denomination was the school? Answer, it was founded by Dominican sisters. Question three. Which three toy stores, uh, i.e. department stores with toy departments in, uh, that, uh, which three toy stores uh, did Lucas and Lewis work in? So they worked in Hamleys, Harrods and Selfridges. Question four. What piece of evidence had both Lucas and Lewis's fingerprints on? The answer, a Red Bull can. Uh, they, they, it's unclear, but they, there seemed to be a glass there as well. But uh, there definitely was a Red Bull can that they were both drinking from. Question five. Uh, which, remember those days when you could share a can of something with someone else? Oh, those, those, those people standing next to each other. Uh, question five. Which statue were the group standing near? It was a statue of George the Fourth. Question six. Which terrorist attack happened 11 days before Desmond's attack? So I deliberately put these questions too close together to throw you off. But well done if you said the Manchester Arena bombing. Question 7. Which terrorist attack happened roughly 20 hours after Desmond's attack? That, of course, was the London Bridge attack. Question 8. Lucas and Lewis were demonstrating which must-have toy of 2017. Of course, it was the most pointless toy in the world, the fidget spinner. What a waste of plastic. Question uh, nine. Which state was Lucas found in? It was Alabama. And question ten. Which three cases we've already covered in Murder Mile are nearest to Trafalgar Square? And the answers are the baby batterer of Bedfordbury, the identikit killing at the old curiosity shop, and it was James Forbes McCallum. So that was the uh, the hotel he stayed in the night before, uh, the bungled robbery at the Coach of Horses. So that was the one where he went in and it had those kind of weird glass windows and uh, uh, one of them swung back, hit hit his gun, he shot the barman and then and he shot himself as well. Uh, interesting case. So that's that. That's enough waffle. Otherwise, we overload into waffle overload. I've got a cake to eat. I've got coffee to drink as well. And I'm going to edit this. And then I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that this bloody house sale goes through. I haven't slept in days. I'm really tired. It's been hard to write this episode knowing that I've still got a lot of of stressful stuff still to do. But everything's coming to a close. But as with us, as we always say, what's next? Do you know, but every every time me and my brother seem to get something off our, off the lists of like looking after mum and gran over the last decade of you know it's always like one thing finishes and then another starts. We go, just give us a break at some point. 
Like Mike, I haven't spoke, didn't speak to my brother yesterday. I almost texted him to say, "Don't speak to me today," because we only need to talk to each other if the house completes or it falls down, and that's it. Don't don't text me or anything. And it's weird. I didn't text him, and he didn't text me either. So I think we're both thinking the same. We're thinking no news is good news. So if we don't hear anything, that's good. So. Fingers crossed that this is done by the end of the day. Otherwise, because I really want to get some sleep tonight. Anyway, that's that. Hope you enjoyed it. There's another ep- another couple more episodes to go. I think we've got another six to go until to bring us up to Christmas Day. Uh, so I've still got a lot of work to do on that. But obviously with no murder mile uh, walks, I have Sundays free now. So that's that. So that's good in a way. Uh, hope you all enjoy that. Uh, have yourselves a good week. Uh, uh, stay safe. Be good. Be nice to people. Uh, Give people cigarettes. That's not a problem at all. Have a good day. Be good. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.